We're just like, you know what, that's why we're here. That's what we do. We show you the possibilities that your child could have. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, everyone in the adaptive physical education world. Um, I hope you enjoyed our last episode with Dr. Hagel, um, where we just kind of had a free-flowing conversation. Um, also, the Campabilities documentary came out, and I got a lot of good feedback already for our camp, so I know that people are watching it, and we're really, really excited to have been a part of that. Um, so, our next interview is with Dr. Hagel, and uh, we spliced it in, and I just thought I'd give it a quick introduction, and uh, here we go. Is a professor at the Old Dominion in Virginia, and we're really lucky to have him. He's our first doctor on the program, so we're really excited to have his expertise here, and we're going to talk a little bit about Dr. Hagel's background, how he got into the PhD program, um, or PhD field in APE, and then we're also going to talk about paraeducators and how we work with them in an APE setting, because I think that's a really interesting topic and something that definitely needs to be talked about. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. It is it is Old Dominion University. That's the university's title. I'm new here, fresh PhD, of course. But uh, I'm very happy to be here talking to you, especially uh, following Mr. Meskel and Mr. Weiner the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's how I, I got in touch with Dr. Hagel was through Matt. A lot of my interviews actually go that way. Is um, It's kind of a snowball effect and talk to them at the end of the interviews and ask them, you know, who do you think would be good for this? And that's how I got Matt and that's how I got Dr. Hagel now. So hopefully that snowball effect continues. Yeah, no, we've got some good good people for you. Just so just so you're aware, uh, in Matt's story, which I listened to again yesterday, um, I was the crazy guy in the beginning of the story. <laughs> you were the crazy guy that uh, introduced him into the, the the field. Yeah, the one that wanted to drive to Alaska. Yeah, his, his grad assistant teaching him. <laughs> That is crazy. Driving to Alaska is, um, I don't even think I could do that. So that's, and I had a, and I drove 18 hours to Texas with no room in the car because all my stuff was packed in it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good drive, but, uh, yeah, that, that was a crazy summer. Um, and Matt's, you know, Matt and I have grown very close. You know, he was, he was in my wedding party. I was just in his wedding party recently. So, you know, this field, not only does great things for other people, for kids, but, you know, it's done great things for myself, meeting people like Matt, you know? Definitely. So you're talking about Matt becoming an, interested in the field of APE through going through some crazy road trips with you, but how did you yourself, how did you find this field of adapted physical education? It's a great question. Um, so I did my undergraduate, um, undergraduate PE degree at the college at Brockport. Um, the College of Brockport has a, a fantastic graduate um, APE master's program, very uh, first one ever in the United States, uh, started by Dr. Joe Winnick um, eons ago, 
uh, one of the pioneers in our field. So I knew this graduating from my undergrad, and I was offered a graduate assistantship at Brockport um, by Dr. Kathy Houston Wilson, another fantastic APE person up there. And, you know, it just seemed obvious to me to join the field or join that master's program with very little uh, background information. I, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, once I started the program, I started getting a lot of hands-on experience. Uh, Dr. Lauren Lieberman set me up with a lot of different types of experiences. Uh, she set me up with a internship at Perkins School for the Blind. I went to Alaska for Camp Abilities Alaska as a graduate student the first time. And once I realized the impact that we can have and the, the breadth of that impact, how much I can travel and meet people in different places and have this commonality with them about what we do, I think that's what really drew me into the adapted PE field. And that was now nine years ago, maybe. It's been a while now. And so after I graduated from Brockport, I went down to New York City and I taught in Queens uh, at a school for kids with autism, which was fantastic. And I, I loved my colleagues and uh, the students were amazing. You know, I have a lot of fantastic stories about those students down there and the things we were able to accomplish. Uh, and I had an excellent supervisor down there named uh, Yuki Yamada, who opened a lot of doors for me and created a lot more opportunity within the school systems that our students can do. But I knew uh, that being at that school that I wanted to do more, and that's why I pursued the PhD program. Um, I actually have two different, I know this is your next question, if you'd like me to get into PhD programs. Sure. But so, I have two different justifications actually for going into a PhD program. Initially, my thought process was, if I teach, I was teaching 30 kids a year, so if I teach 30 kids a year, that means I impact only 30 children with disabilities per year. But if I were to teach 30 undergraduates per year, which we, we both know it's actually a lot more than that, but if it were just 30 undergraduates a year and then they each went out and taught 30 children a year, that would mean that my impact would multiply by 30. So instead of impacting just 30 kids, I would impact 900 kids, and that would be per year. And then for each year I teach 30 more kids, that's 900 potential more kids per year that I could impact. So... Just the idea of multiplication told me that I needed to go into higher ed so I can make a broader and larger impact on our field and for kids with disabilities. Um, I've realized, though, you know, in my Ph.D. program and, and even now uh, as an assistant professor at Old Dominion, I've realized that the impact is a lot more than just a numbers game. Um, I've really began to enjoy providing experiences like the ones that I've had. Uh, like I had at Brockport or like I had o at Ohio State as a PhD student to other students. So in the past three years, I've made it a habit to bring undergrads to Alaska with me for Camp Abilities Alaska. And experiencing that camp with those students and seeing the impact it could have on those students has really given like a, a new purpose to a lot of what I'm doing, providing new opportunities for the next generation. So what do you think that... The students that are going to Alaska are are gaining from that. Well, you know, uh, the students that I was bringing from Ohio State, uh, they had one course within their program, so they had a small snapshot of what adapted PE would be, and that's what it's like in most universities around the country, right? One undergraduate APE course. Uh, 
Um, but I think going to Alaska for camp or going to Michigan for camp or New York for camp, whichever camp abilities you go to or any program like that, I think it gives more experience to them that allows them to make more informed choices about the future. So if somebody goes to one of these programs and they find that they really enjoy it and they think this is a career they want to follow, then we're facil- or we're, we're cultivating more APE people for the future. So I think they get that experience. Plus, they also get to travel. And um, I know when I was growing up, traveling was not something we were doing very often. And a lot of the students who I've met, like they haven't had the opportunity to see a lot of places around the country. So I think that's an added bonus to that APE knowledge that they're going to get. Definitely. And I think even for them that are going into the general PE uh, world as well, I don't think there's any general PE teachers that don't have kids with disabilities in their classes either. Right. Yeah. Somewhere like 93 to 96% of kids with disabilities are taught in general education schools. So if there's only one PE teacher in that school, they're probably teaching kids with disabilities. Definitely. So I want to move on. I want to talk about the topic of paraeducators with adapted physical education and just physical education, I, I this is one of the most common, I don't want to say complaints, but an issue that I hear that APE teachers have in their field is that I hear it all the time and it's can't get my para to participate. Or I hear about an attitude that they get from a para educator and I hear it all the time that they feel like they're teaching or they have an extra behavior management issue with their paraeducator. And I want to kind of know, you know, why is that? Well, you know, I've heard the same thing a lot uh, over, over the years of working with phys ed teachers now or even students who are observing phys ed teachers. You ask, what do you see the paraprofessional doing? And a lot of the responses are, oh, they're sitting or... Um, or if the kid has to go to the bathroom, they'll get up and take the child to the bathroom. Or they're reading the newspaper. Um, I've actually heard once where a para went out and had a cigarette during PE class. Um, this was years ago. But to me, um, and we discussed this the other day when we were talking about paras, I see the relationship with the para not to be 100% on the fault of the paraprofessional. I think a lot of that has to do with the teacher and the teach and the relationship that the phys ed teacher is facilitating with paraprofessionals. So like I was saying before, I taught in New York City for three years in Queens, not in, the, not in Manhattan, but in Queens at a school for kids with autism. And the paras that I had um, were fantastic. Um, I had very few um, issues or complaints with paras. I thought that they all worked with me and the kids as well as they could have. Um, a lot of them were more active than I was in class. Um, and the benefit of the para is that they know these kids like their own children. You know, they're only with they're with the kid, the children for nine hours a day, seven nine hours a day. They might get a thirty minute break in a lot of school districts. So there's few people, including the classroom teacher, who are going to know the needs of the students as well as the paraprofessionals do. So to me, I thought, you know, we have to use this information, you know. So a few things that I did, and I didn't do these. It's, it's interesting. I didn't do these because I thought I needed to get the Paris to work with me. I did these because I had an, 
like I very much liked the paraprofessionals I worked with. I thought they were fantastic people. A lot of them had really good hearts and were just kind and interesting. And they, I, I think they thought the same of me. But so what I would do is I would eat lunch with my paraprofessionals every day. I would spend pretty much whatever free time I had within my school day with them so that we developed an actual relationship, not like a superficial uh, relationship where, you know, they're in the same room as me and we know each other's name, but more, you know, I knew about them and where they came from, what, uh, what their family's name were. You know, we spent some time together outside of school. A bunch of them were at my wedding. So we were actually like close. We were actually friends. And I think because of that, we also wanted mutual success for each other. So when we're working together in schools and with the kids, uh, if I ask them to do something, they're going to go for it. They're going to do it and do it as, as, as much as or as well as they could. And the same thing with me. If they said, hey, Mr. Justin, that's what everybody called each other in these schools, Mr. and your first name or Miss and your first name. Say, Mr. Justin, I really need this. Do you mind if I go do this fast? Go for it. You know, you work hard for me. I'm going to respect you as a person. So I think that's like the basis of uh, having quality paraprofessionals in your school is developing an actual relationship with them. Um, unfortunately, in my experience, I found teachers to believe that paraprofessionals are uh, less than they are. You know, I'm a teacher. I have a teaching certification. Paraprofessionals don't have a teaching certification. I have to tell them what to do. You know, that's to me that that philosophy doesn't make very much sense. You know, it's it's an ecology. You need to work together in order to drive toward the goal. And the goal is not yourself. The goal is the student. You know, the goal is getting the student to do what they need to do. And you can do that together. I agree. I'm very passionate about making sure that the paraeducators are an equal member or as equal as they can be in that, um, you know, that, that education of the total child. Um, and like you said, they know the child better than anybody usually in my experience. And they, they have a wealth of knowledge. And I, I usually see that sometimes they need a little direction. You know, you, if you don't stand, if you stand back and don't say anything to them, that's another reason for them to read the newspaper. But making sure they have some direction is, is beneficial as well. And one of the things that I've done in the past with uh, paraeducators is if I'm having an issue in the class, uh, I might say, hey, what do you think that I could do? What, how do you think that we could solve this problem? And getting their input, I think, also gave them some made them feel like they were more part of the class as well. They seem to really like that, to be part of the, the planning. So what do you, what do you see as, as the role of a paraeducator in a PE setting? I think, um, to me, and, you know, again, for some reason, this stuff is somewhat ambiguous, and there is, there is guidelines, but the guidelines are typically school-wide um, or district-wide. But to me... Uh, the role of the para is to be the partner. You know, I, so again, I worked in a segregated school. Also, I did not work in an inclusive school, and that that would be different. You know, an inclusive school, I would say a para would have to have close close proximity to the students who have specific needs. Um, they could assess, they could provide extra direction or more close proximity modeling, or whatever needs that student has, they could meet. In my case, being in a segregated school where it was just kids with autism, um, I treated the para like it was. We were partners, and we were teaching this class together. 
And like you're saying, a lot of the ideas that we had came not just from me saying, hey, what do you think, but more of like a collaborative approach uh, where we're brainstorming. So one of the things we did each twice a year is we used to choreograph shows, and I'm not a dancer. Anybody that knows me knows I can't dance at all. But I would choreograph shows that we'd put on in front of parents. And these shows, we would go crazy. Uh, We did... Um, the LMFAO song Party Rock with them for one show, and we strapped glow-in-the-dark uh, neon strips to their clothes and shut the lights off, and they danced glow-in-the-dark. And a lot of, and that was an idea of one of the paras, and we did Christmas shows and with themes, and they did all the decorations, and they worked on the costumes, and a lot of these great ideas that we had were facilitated by paras having the ideas and us just rolling with them. You know, so to me, for for my experience, it was really having another person to collaborate with and bounce ideas off of. I didn't work in a school with another PE teacher. I was the only phys ed teacher in my my building. So having the paras were pretty much like having other PE teachers to bounce ideas off of. The other important thing with the paras for me was I was brand new. I came right out of my master's program, and I'm working with kids with autism spectrum disorder. And they're in a school for just kids with autism, so typically those children are going to be more involved in the disability. You know, if they were less involved, they would be in an inclusive school. The Paris had been there, most of the Paris had been there for at least 10 years. So they know the school structure. They know how how to manage behaviors. Like, these Paris gave me a jump start. They said, and when this behavior happens, this is what you do. You know, so I felt like I had a cheat sheet with my Paris. Um, in New York. So the roles of the parents, to answer your question, which I don't think I actually did, the roles of the parents very highly dependent on what kind of school setting you're in and what kind of situation you're in. And inclusion, it's going to be different than if it's a reverse mainstreaming class or if it's a completely separate class. It all depends on the situation. Definitely. Is, is there a real difference between how parents perceive PE or their, their job in PE versus a classroom? Or do you think that's something that, that there's just as many issues in the class classroom as there is in PE? That's a, you know, that's a good question. It's, and it's hard to answer because I haven't been in the classroom. So I'm not a hundred percent sure how they act in the classroom or how even classroom teachers act in the classroom. But I think again, the perception that paras have about phys ed is driven by the phys ed teacher. If a para sits down that first day and opens her newspaper up and the teacher does nothing and just ignores it and then you know he's frustrated or she's frustrated but she just continues regardless of what the para is doing, then you're just reinforcing that behavior. You're allowing the para to do that. It's the same thing as if the para brought the kids in and the phys ed teacher rolled the ball out and the para played with them. Same thing, role reversal. You know, so it's all about how we treat each other, how we treat paraprofessionals, how paraprofessionals treat us. We work together, the kids benefit. All right, Dr. Hagel, I'm going to wrap up with a few uh, last questions. I want to know, what are the biggest obstacles in the field of APE that teachers have? That in-school teachers have? Yes, uh, you know that's that's a tough question, and I think I think the answer is to be very to be very broad is having an understanding of what they should be doing. 
You know, there's a lot of issues that go on in schools that are isolated incidents that teachers have trouble with. How do I accommodate this student with this disability? How do I modify this game to include a child? Should this child be included or in a separate class by themselves or, or in a modified PE class or some other type of class placement? But I, I don't think that's the big issue. I think the global issue is, you know, we're still a field where phys ed teachers get typically in most universities one undergraduate course in teaching kids with disabilities. And while that course is typically well done when the person who's teaching it has a background in APE, there's only so much information that you can really get across. You know, you might be able to enhance the the teacher's attitude toward teaching kids with disabilities, which is very important, getting teachers to have a positive disposition toward teaching students with disabilities in their school. However, there's it's impossible to get all of the content knowledge that's necessary into that one course. Uh, so to me, I think the biggest issue or the biggest thing that can be improved would be to provide more education. And maybe that's within the undergraduate program. Maybe you infuse more um, APE information into the other undergraduate courses or the teaching licensure courses. Maybe they, or maybe state governments begin to require APE certifications at their states. You know, some states do, California does, uh, Ohio does. If you want to teach APE, you have to have a credential in Ohio. But many, many states don't. I know here in Virginia we don't. In New York we didn't. Uh, so those are the other two states I've had experience with. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe maybe administrators value that background in APE more when they're hiring teachers. Maybe they say, hey, we're going to hire teachers uh, for this school for kids with disabilities, but we want those teachers to have you know, an undergraduate concentration in APE or a CAPE certification or something like that. So, again, biggest challenge, it's global. It's education, in my opinion, providing knowledge so that people with people who are teaching kids with disabilities know what to do, how to do it, and uh, what resources to get. Very good. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Very, very interesting perspective. I really agree with, you know, making special ed administrators more receptive to it, as well as, uh, you know, the, the educational basis. With that, I just want to bring up that recently, something that was interesting here at Texas Women's University is they had an uh, adapted physical educational um, conference that was just regional. And we had about 120 people come out uh, for two days. And all of these sessions were on adapted physical education, which I have not seen that or really heard of it in a regional um, way. So it was just people from North Texas coming out. That's great. And you know, there's places, like there's pockets where stuff like that happens. So like at Ohio State, they used to bring the teacher of the year out every year. And everybody, not everybody, a lot of people from Ohio would come right to Columbus for that. Or like in New York City, because there were so many APE teachers um, in New York City Department of Education, they would have PDs specific to APE on their, you know, their designated PE days or PD days. But you know, that, those are pockets. It's not happening globally. And I understand that this isn't something where, you know, you and I are going to talk and then somebody's going to hear this and they're going to go, ah, you're right, we need to change that. You know, I'm sure that this has been a struggle since the beginning of APE being a field. But, you know, in the long run, 
I think one of the objectives needs to be, you know, AP and special ed need to be on the same level of respect. You know, you wouldn't hire a teacher to teach a classroom class of kids with disabilities without a special ed license. However, consistently, phys ed teachers are hired to teach phys ed to kids with disabilities without an APE background. So that's where I'm at. Long term, global, not changing today. That's what I think we that, that's what I think the biggest struggle and the biggest thing somebody in AP can contribute to the field would be that. Very good. Well, to move on from obstacles, uh, Dr. Hagel, what is your best story, um, you know, about adapt in the field of adaptive physical education, either as a PhD student or at the, you know, teaching level at the university or working as an adaptive physical education teacher? You know, I feel like our career is like stories. Like, we all have stories. There's so many stories. I have dozens of Camp Abilities Alaska stories um, that I think are, are amazing. You know, I have, uh, there's an athlete who was there for years who, uh, who grew up at our camp, and he was then, he ended up being like fifth in the state as a wrestler, you know, for everybody, not just people with visual impairments, obviously, right? Um, and there's so many great things that happen while working with undergrads and uh, while at OSU or even here. And people saying, you know, hey, I think now I want to have a career in APE because of the stuff that you've introduced us to. But I've got to say that the the thing that sticks with me and the thing that I still think about and I smile when I think about it is doing when we did these shows, these spring and Christmas shows with the kids in Queens. Um, because when we're done, the parent, it's, the, it's about the parents. And the parents would come up and they're, you know, their eyes are watering and they're like, wow, I didn't know my child could do that. And we're just like, you know what, that's why we're here. That's what we do. We show you the possibilities that your child could have. Um, and my favorite one that we've ever done or we ever did was we taught uh, this handful of kids, uh, six kids, had a slow dance on stage. And they were dancing with their paros. And then they walked off the stage and we had each of them pick out their mom or their grandma and dance with their mom or grandmother during uh, during the show. And like the eyes all over the all over the auditorium were just welling up with tears. Like it was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever been a part of. And I was a small part. All I did was put the music on, and these kids did everything else. So that's my favorite uh, all time story so far. But new stories happen every day. Definitely. Well, Dr. Hagel, thanks a ton for being on the show. Uh, we really appreciated having you here and talking to us about your expertise, your background, and we kind of went on a few tangents about a few things, but I'm, I'm sure that an audience will appreciate all that as well. At Old Dominion University, uh, just submitted the paperwork to start an APE master's program starting next fall, and we are looking for PhD students to start next fall, and we have some funding available, so... If there's people out there who have interest, uh, you know, shoot me an email, contact me, and we'll, we can talk about it. The PhD program is a phys ed program, but of course you can research whatever you're interested in. Very cool. Dr. Hagel, I wish I, I uh, knew, had had a little bit more of that funding uh, when I joined my PhD program. It's not, it's not amazing funding. <laughs> it's funding. This is us signing off. Have a great day, and until next time... Goodbye. <laughs>